So it's been quite a journey. And if you've been following this uh, channel, if you've been following me on Facebook or just walking this process out, any at all with me, <laughs> um, it's been quite an evolution. One of the things that's nice about like the YouTube channel is you can go back and look at some of the stuff that I did, even going back to 2020, going back to 2019, <clears throat> and where I'm at today. You can kind of watch this evolution happen in my thinking and in the things that I'm sharing. So went through this whole process of deconstruction. Now, here's what I want you to understand. I had such a high level of certainty in my Christian faith, in my worldview, based on the Bible, based on my Christian faith. I knew metaphysically what existed out there. I knew that God existed. I knew that he was the creator of this world, that he was omnipresent, meaning everywhere, that he was omniscient, meaning all-knowing, that he was uh, all-powerful, you know, all that stuff. And I knew that I was his child. I knew that there was forces of evil out there, that there was a devil and a Satan, and that I was on the side of right. I was on the side of righteousness. And I knew how to make prayer work, or so I thought. Came out of the faith movement to some degree, the name it and claim it crowd. <laughs> and life was good, right? And then it wasn't. <laughs> And ironically enough, my journey to deconstruction, I mean, there's lots of demarcations. There's lots of uh, signposts along the way or destinations along the way or stops along the way. Maybe that's a better way to say it. There were a lot of stops along the way where I could say, oh, this is where it really began. And if you watch on my YouTube channel, I have a couple of videos on there where I talk about my journey. And I usually begin my journey somewhere around... 2016 when I was 45 years old because I was burnt out, as T.D. Jakes used to like to say, I was broke, busted, and disgusted. <laughs> and I had a meditative experience that completely shifted everything for me in the way that I looked at myself, the way that I looked at my past, the way that I looked at my life the way that I looked at Christianity, and I've shared that before, and that's usually where I say this is where this process of deconstruction started for me. This is where this began. But in contemplating it more the last few months, I've been spending more time in just doing inward thinking and contemplation, thinking about what is my narrative now, what is my purpose, how do I want to show up in my life, uh, in this season of my life, who do I want to be, what's important to me. And all this stuff. And I remembered something that had happened to me that really began this process for me. And it has to do with a guy named Edgar Casey. So I want to talk a little bit about Edgar Casey because Edgar Casey is hugely influential, uh, in the holistic metaphysical new age movement. And a lot of people don't probably even realize the importance or the significance of Edgar Casey. They might know of him. They might have heard of him. You may be watching this. You may have followed me for some time. You may have never, ever heard of Edgar Casey. 
But uh, Edgar Cayce, let me see. Let me just check something real quick because I didn't. Yeah, Edgar Cayce was born in 1877 in Christian County, Kentucky. <laughs> let me just read a little bit um, out of Wikipedia here. Um, it says Edgar Cayce was an American attributed clairvoyant who claimed to speak from his higher self while in a trance-like state. His words were recorded by his friend, Al Lane, his wife, Gertrude Evans, and later by his secretary, Gladys Davis Turner. During the sessions, Casey would answer questions on a variety of subjects, such as healing, reincarnation, dreams, the afterlife, past lives, nutrition, Atlantis, and future events. Casey, a devout Christian and Sunday school teacher, said that his readings came from his subconscious mind exploring the dream realm where he said all minds were timelessly connected. Casey found un, founded a nonprofit organization, the ARE, or Association for Research and Enlightenment, which is still around and functioning and healthy today, by the way, to record and facilitate the study of his channeling and run a hospital. Casey is known as the Sleeping Prophet, the title of journalist Jess Stern's Casey biography. Religious scholars and thinkers such as author Michael York consider Casey the founder and principal source of many characteristic beliefs of the New Age movement. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of who he was. So what would happen is that Casey had this ability to put himself into a dreamlike state or what we might understand today uh, as a deep hypnotic trance, a deep state of hypnosis. <clears throat> and then he could give readings to people. And it started out primarily with healing. So people would come to him and he could go into these deep trance-like states and he could diagnose them oftentimes very accurately, even though he had no medical knowledge. He would be able to talk about uh, no, not, not no medical knowledge, no medical training, no formal medical training. In fact, just about the only book that Edgar Casey ever read was the Bible. He was a very devout Christian from his youth, and he would read through the Bible uh, from start to finish every year. So he read the Bible every year. He was a Sunday school teacher all of his life and very devoutly and devoted Christian. But again, not very well educated. So just about the only thing that he ever uh, read was the Bible. I just saw, I got distracted because I just saw C. Rodriguez said uh, she just bought the book by Edgar Casey, <laughs> or just bought a book, The Essential. She just bought the book by Edgar Casey, The, the Essential. So love that synchronicity. Um, so anyway, he would put himself in this dreamlike state and he'd be able to have medical knowledge that was beyond his natural ability to have medical knowledge and he could diagnose and then prescribe treatments for people to get better and they would work. Now he didn't like, like no faith healer, spiritual healer or like, or like every faith healer and every spiritual healer he did not bat a thousand percent. There were times that he was wrong. There was times that it didn't work. But 
he got consider, but that's true of doctors too. That's true of any medicine. That's true at any level of healing. But he was getting such consistent results that he became, uh, a famous healer in the early part of the 20th century. And th- this is what blows my mind because and some of you will get this. Some of you will get this. If you were part of the charismatic movement, if you were interested in revival or the history of revival, particularly the healing movements that had happened. And I was. I studied, uh, you know, people like Smith Wigglesworth, John, excuse me, John G. Lake. And of course, we know if you have any familiarity with religious history in America at all. Around that time in the 20th century, people like Oral Roberts, probably the most famous, you know, faith healer that was out there. People may know Benny Hinn. But I thought that the Christians had cornered the market. This is what I find so interesting. It was my belief that that was the only spiritual movement that was happening in the 20th century that was producing results. When, in fact, the impact of, like, divine healing movements from the early part of the 20th century that were charismatic in nature, the lasting impact upon culture has been skepticism towards divine healing. The legacy, it's been a legacy of charlatans. It's been a legacy of financial abuse of people. I don't think the legacy has really impacted the culture in a positive way or really move the needle at all. And so I've been studying a little bit more the history of the occult in America, and it's interesting to discover that there were other figures like Edgar Cayce, who becomes a nationally famous prophet with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of documented healings, and newspapers start writing positive articles about Edgar Cayce. So here's this whole divine healing or spiritual healing or faith healing movement that's happening in America that even though I had studied that particular topic for years because I was looking at it through my Christian lens, I didn't even know about Edgar Cayce. But he also left a a lasting impact upon the New Age movement. He really... In many ways, in my opinion, although it's hard to, you know, the New Age movement, that, that label encompasses so many different types of beliefs and practices that you can't really say this person is the father of the New Age movement. But he was definitely a significant influencer of the New Age movement. And we'll dig into that in a minute. But I just want you to think about the fact that here's a guy who's a devout Christian, who reads the Bible, who goes to church, who teaches Sunday school. And he's able to put himself in this trance, and he starts getting results of healings and miracles by diagnosing and treating disease in this sort of dreamlike state. And he would wake up from it, and he would not remember what he said. Now, where this gets really interesting is that people began to come to Edgar Cayce for spiritual readings. And one of the first uh, readings that he had, and I don't, I'm not going to get all the details correct, was uh, uh, a person that came to him because they were part of another spiritual movement that was very, very much like uh, a lot of the love and light community today 
they can trace their roots back to a group called the White Shirts. And the White Shirts were very um, into the Ascended Masters. So this idea of Ascended Masters, what happened was they had, and they, they, they believed that they were contacted. Again, a lot of this stuff happens in trans states. They believed they were contacted by um, a group of beings who called themselves the Ascended Masters and gave them what's known as the I Am teachings. So a lot of this stuff with the New Age where we talk about I Am, the whole term Ascended Masters, the whole idea of the Ascended Masters comes from this group that were known as the White Shirts. The only problem is the Ascended Masters were telling them that the white race was the superior race, <laughs> of course, uh, that if you that, that man's evolution was ranked by the color of their skin. In other words, there were your your spiritual ranking was determined by the color of your skin. And they were also very nationalistic. They were also very fascist and they were very strong supporters of the Nazis and Adolf Hitler. So just think about that when you think about the, the roots of some of this stuff. So one of their uh, leaders goes through a terrible time, gets in a car accident, and it was determined by the leaders of the organization that he got into a car accident because he was outside of the circle of light for his protection. And anyway, he, he descends into this horrible place. So he goes to see Casey. And Edgar Casey does uh, – no, he doesn't go to see him. They correspond back and forth. And Casey more or less uh, rebukes him for his 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 racism and kind of telling him, even though he didn't know anything about him, he didn't know really who he was, as I understand and remember the story. So he starts doing these spiritual readings, and then I'm getting my stories confused. There was another person that came to him, and he begins to talk to them about their past lives. He begins to talk about how they're having difficulty and problems in their present circumstance because of things that happened to them or things that they did in their past lives. So then this starts to show up in Casey's readings. So he goes from sort of uh, diagnosing and prescribing cures, and those cures could be anything from prayer to meditation to herbs and those kinds of things, holistic-type medicine. In fact, a lot of the holistic medicine that we see in the New Age movement today is directly related to and was the, 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 the original idea, the father of that aspect of it for sure, was Edgar Casey because he's giving them homeopathic remedies. He's giving them holistic remedies, and they're getting better. So he goes from that to now he's giving readings to people that are addressing core issues in their lives and addressing past lives. And saying the problem that you're having right now, you're having because of reincarnation and something that happened in a past life. Now, here's the only problem. The only problem was that Casey didn't believe in past lives because Casey didn't believe in reincarnation because Casey was a Christian. He was a devout Christian. So he would say things. The point I'm making is he would say a lot of things in his readings, and then he would wake up and, and have tremendous cognitive dissonance when he would find out what he said. He would be confused about what he said because he, he, he's like, I don't believe that stuff. It, it didn't mesh with who he was. It didn't mesh with the things that he believed. And then he starts giving uh, readings because they start asking him questions about the nature of the universe, about the nature of God, about past uh, 
groups like the Essenes, uh, asking about Atlantis and things like that. Now, there were predictions, there were prophetic predictions about the future that Casey made that absolutely came to pass. And there were prophetic, prophetic predictions, like I think the West Coast was going to fall into the ocean uh, or the East Coast or something like that by 1970-something. I mean, he definitely made a lot of predictions that did not happen, but he made some predictions that did happen. So just like any anybody else that's ever been a prophet or a fortune teller or, any, or a healer, right, they're not 100% accurate, but there's enough accuracy that it gets our attention and it makes us want to look at it, right? So as I read from Wikipedia, Edgar Casey believed that he was uh, receiving information from his higher self. So here's the point I want to make. Terms like uh, source. He was one of the first ones to call God source or to identify the source, the source of creation. So when we hear that term used a lot now, that uh, people substitute the term source for yeah, people substitute the term source for God, right? Hold on one second. Josiah, what are you doing? I'm trying to go live. <laughs> uh, totally made me lose my train of thought, that kid. Um, <laughs> sorry, this is embarrassing. <laughs> uh, I totally lost my train of thought. I don't remember what I was saying. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Thanks, Julie. Help me remember. Uh, <laughs> so the, the, he was the first one to substitute the term source for the term God. So when people use the term source, he was also the first one, not the first one to really channel, but the first one to talk about channeling and really the person who made channeling popular in the Western world or channeling popular in America. This idea. So so people like Abraham Hicks. Uh, or Esther Hicks, who's channeling Abraham, uh, people like the Law of One group that were channeling Raw, um, QO, all those channeling groups. None of that would be happening today if it hadn't been for the influence and the life and, dare I say, the ministry of Edgar Casey. So we owe him a huge debt. If, if you if you have benefited from any of that stuff, kind of owe him a huge debt. Like, see, Ben Urban is laughing at me. <laughs> and Gina, fellow parents, understand. Oh, I just completely lost my train of thought. Normally, I'll just ignore him when he goes by. It's not a big deal, but um, just totally lost my train of thought. So, now, why, is it, why am I talking about Edgar Casey, and why am I talking about this being important to my personal journey of deconstruction? Because I remembered something that went way back to probably... 2005, 2006, I was already frustrated. So even when I got in the ministry, this is a crazy thing. Even when I got in the ministry in 2000, I'd already been a Christian for, you know, about a decade. And I got into full-time ministry as a senior pastor. I'd been doing ministry for the decade previous to that, associate pastor, youth pastor, children's pastor, uh, did it all. Um, but when I became a senior pastor, well, I was never a children's pastor, but I taught children's church. Occasionally. When I became a senior pastor, it didn't take long for me to feel disillusioned and feel like there's got to be something more. And do you remember that feeling? Do you remember that feeling? Some of you out there, if you remember that feeling, put it in the comments um, where you're like, 
you got all your eyes dotted, uh, dotted and your T's crossed with your Christian faith, and it's like, there's got to be something more out there. I'm hungry for something more, this spiritual hunger. It's so we're pursuing God. And I wasn't finding it. I wasn't finding it. I wasn't finding it in traditional Christianity. And I had heard of Edgar Casey, I think in Bible school, because we had to study cults or something. And I knew about Edgar Casey. That was about it. And I heard someone comment to me that Edgar Casey was a devout Christian. And that he taught Sunday school and he read through the Bible every year. So that like, that like sanctified him for me, right? Like that made him safe to go out and read. But I found it so fascinating that what he would say while he was in trance, what he would say while he was channeling what he called his higher self did not agree at all with what he actually believed. This is important. This is really super important. So he comes out of the trance state. They would tell him what he say. Oh, no, that can't be right. Like, so what I'm saying is so many people in their spiritual lives, I mean, we have so many of the problems that we have with religion and other spiritual groups because we have gurus. We have cults of personalities. We have people that get drunk on their own ego, if you will. And so they would never invalidate something that they received or something that they said. But this guy is like, no, that can't be right. I don't believe that. Now, the reason that's important to me, and I'm going to get into this in a little bit, but where, where does this stuff come from? Like, where does this stuff come from? And I, and I want to tie it to how do, how can we think about things in terms of spirituality and stuff like that as we move forward. So I I go to the, but let me finish my story. I go to the bookstore and I find a book by Edgar Cayce where he, it's his commentary on the book of Revelation. And in his commentary on the book of Revelation, now remember, you're dealing with a guy who only ever read the Bible, pretty much. Dealing with a guy immersed in Western Christian thinking from the time he was born. Grew up in a Christian household. Very devoted to God. And as I'm reading this book on Revelation, this commentary, he's talking about the seven seals being the seven chakras. And you have to ask yourself, where did he learn about the chakras? Now, he could have read about it and could have had some prior knowledge of it. I'm not saying that he didn't. But as I'm reading through this description of the book of Revelation, what Casey's basically overall approach was, was that it's about the unfolding of what he called the Christ nature or the divine nature inside the person. And all of the plagues and the cataclysms and all that stuff, he's saying, these aren't things that are going to happen out there. These are things that happen in here. These are things that happen within us as the seven seals open or as the chakras open up and the kundalini moves through 
the chakras and he would, he would connect the chakras to, um, glands in the body, right? Which I know is a common thing. But also in the front part of this book, there was contained in there the meditation exercises and the prayers that Edgar Casey would do and use. So here's somebody who's talking about stuff that interested me, fascinated me, inspired me, but he's talking about past lives. He's talking about reincarnation. He's talking about um, sort of different, a different concept of God, a different way of looking at things like the book of Revelation. So again, this is about 2005, 2006. So he had a way of saying the Lord's Prayer that connected to the chakras and the movement of energy through the body and the various glands. And so I remember learning and practicing this meditation. And right after I'd done this, right after I'd kind of finished the book, so I didn't read it all in one setting, but after I'd finished the book and after I'd been practicing meditation for a while, I'm laying in my bed one night and I begin to say this prayer as I'm falling asleep. And you know how you're kind of in that half in, half out state. You're more asleep than awake. And immediately I feel myself lift up out of my body. Now I'd heard about these kinds of experiences before, but I'd never had an experience like this before. Never even had a dream like this before. Now I've had some lucid dreams, but this wasn't a lucid dream. This was my consciousness moving outside of my body and being in my room. It was dark. And I'm like, whoa, fully lucid, fully conscious. I'm like, I'm leaving my body. I'm leaving my body. And I got a little bit excited about it because I thought, oh, this is going to be a cool experience. And I move into what was our bathroom. From my room, I move into what was our bathroom. And when I move into what was our bathroom, I was confused because it wasn't our bathroom. It was like like something completely different. It still had physical representations. And I can't remember now because it's been so long ago if it was just a different kind of a room or if it was a like a scene in nature, but it was just something I didn't expect. And there was a being of light that was there, this other being that was there, and it scared me so badly that I literally felt myself lunge backwards through the room and back into my body. And then I was awake, and I thought, whoa, All that to say, that got my attention. That got my attention. And I thought, number one, if Edgar Cayce could be a devout Christian, and I never read through the Bible in a year fully, and yet could have these results and be a healer and have these profound insights that are completely outside of his paradigm, teach things that are completely outside of his paradigm when he's in his channeling state, then perhaps, perhaps, things aren't as they seem. And that's really what, and then I had that experience, and so I'm like, wow, there's really could be something to this. And that's really where it began for me. That's really where I began to question the certainty of my own worldview, my certainty about God as a creator, Satan is the evil one, me on the right side, heaven, you know, the afterlife. 
things like that. Now, here's what I find interesting about Edgar Casey. And I'm going to be I'm belaboring this point. All right, let, let me let me contrast this with uh, the person who channeled the love one. I think it was Carla Carla Reichert. I think I'm getting that right. Because um, some of you you know follow the love one and the teachings of raw and, and all that stuff. Whenever people would share with me. You know, I have friends out there like uh, Aaron Abke, Brian Scott, that have a lot of teachings on the Law of One on their channels. And whenever I would listen to them or I'm like, there's really not that much new here, at least what I was hearing. Now, I'm no expert on the Law of One at all. I've been on record as saying it doesn't resonate with me as a spiritual path. But I want to talk about it because it's, it, it involves channeling. She channeled. So for those of you that don't know what this is, um, there was a woman, I think, I think her last name was Riker, Carla Riker, and her husband and one other guy. And she began to channel this entity, this social, spiritual, intellectual complex uh, that they refer to themselves as. And they, she channels, they can ask questions and she'll respond or the entity raw will respond through her describing the nature of the cosmos and the nature of reality. So that's what that is. And that's why I'm bringing it up because it's, again, it's involving channeling and channeling got started with Edgar Casey. Now remember, we can kind of, it didn't, the, the phenomena of channeling didn't get started, but the popularity, the term, all that stuff is what it is today because of the influence of Edgar, Edgar Casey. And so that stuff finds its roots in the Association for Research and Enlightenment, the organization that Edgar Casey Founded. But here's, so people would tell me, you know, I'd listen to them and I'm like, there's not really anything new here because this, this is consistent with what's in the Vedas and it's consistent with Hermetic Kabbalah. In fact, there's even a whole section where she talks about the tarot, which is rooted in Hermetic Kabbalah. Well, come to find out, at least it's my understanding, um, I haven't verified this, so, but I trust my source. Uh, that Carla Reichert had read a ton of books on Eastern mysticism and occultism and stuff like that. So here's my point. Most of what happens in dream states. So let me, let me put on my psychologist hat for a minute. Let me take off the Aaron deconstructing spiritual historian hat. Let me put on my psychologist hat or psychology hat. So I'm not a licensed psychologist or anything like that. Don't want to misrepresent myself. Um, but I am a student of psychology and have been for years. Um, and I have degrees in psychology. <laughs> just, just, just saying. Most dreams are an interaction between the conscious and the subconscious mind. Uh, a lot of what comes up in your dreams is the subconscious playing out in your sleep conflicts or unresolved issues or aspects of who you are. A lot of what comes out in hypnosis is coming from the treasure trove of the subconscious. A lot of people have a hard time deconstructing from Christianity because they don't appreciate how deeply embedded Christian memes 
and Christian ideas and Christian presuppositions, how deeply embedded they are in their subconscious. So even though consciously they can say, I don't believe in any hell, subconsciously they are afraid to, they oftentimes have conflict within themselves and they're afraid to try maybe a different lifestyle or they're afraid to walk away from Jesus or walk away from the church because, oh, maybe, maybe there is a hell. And it's because hell is so deeply embedded in their subconscious. And the reason I'm bringing up Carla Reichert and Law of One is because uh, if that's true, and I believe that it is, that she had studied and read all this stuff and all these books, then it's quite possible that the source of her raw uh, teachings are coming from her subconscious mind and not coming from an entity outside of her subconscious mind. Now, I'm not making a judgment one way or the other. So if you believe she's channeling this uh, social memory complex and accurately describing the nature of reality, I'm, I'm not pushing back on that. I'm just simply saying it's possible, from my view, that she's channeling her subconscious. Now, Casey said he was channeling his higher self. But here's what's so interesting about Casey. That couldn't have been coming from his subconscious. Because it was so incongruent and inconsistent with what would have been in his subconscious. And remember, we're talking the early part of the 20th century. We're talking about somebody who had like, I think, a eighth grade education or something like that. Maybe getting some of my facts wrong. But we're, you know, this is way before, uh, access to information like we have today. And because he's one of the, influencers and fathers of the New Age movement, there weren't books being written about channeling. There weren't books being written that he could have accessed about reincarnation and past lives and chakras. It's not like you could have sat down and just Googled chakra. You see what I'm saying? So that gives a lot of validity. Now, this is where I want to land the plane. This is where I want to finish. What Okay, so what, Aaron? So what? You told us about Edgar Casey. You told us about how he influenced and impacted your life and your deconstruction. Why should we even care about that? <clears throat> told us about the influence on the New Age movement. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in any of that stuff, or I'm still a Christian, or whatever the case may be. What? Why are you going here? <clears throat> because I it, it, it really makes me – well, okay, so let me back up. So at some point in your deconstruction, as my friend Derek Day likes to say, if you go far enough, you have to seriously consider atheism. Atheism. And I seriously considered atheism, at least considered the arguments for atheism, for at least a year. I engaged and encountered atheists in my social media platform, which is primarily just Facebook, that I use. Um, if somebody wants to help me, though, figure out Instagram and Twitter and all that other stuff, like you have no idea how bad I am at this stuff. <laughs> and I have a day job. I do this in my extra time. But um, my my experience with this was atheists were just as dogmatic. It's just another religion. It's just the religion of science. And I'm not saying that to offend you. I'm saying that to provoke you a little bit to think about, if you are an atheist, how you present yourself. Because in my experience within the atheistic community, 
the people that I experienced were more zealous. They were more evangelistic in spreading their gospel of atheism, trying to convert people. And they were just as dogmatic and close-minded. In other words, their model of the world, they were just as dogmatic about it and just as close-minded about it as I was dogmatic and close-minded about my view of the world when I was in Christianity. Now, the second thing is, they have deep, most atheists have deep, deep skepticism. And a lot of them would respond almost with antagonism, with with just, yeah, antagonism isn't quite the right word. Um, it's social media. You get it. <laughs> they respond very aggressively uh, if you mention anything outside of the material world. In other words, if you suggest that the human being is anything other than this biological body that we have and that our consciousness and our mind is anything more than the byproduct of chemicals and electricity firing in our brain, anything more than the byproduct of neurotransmitters and neural pathways, and that it's just all ends when you die, and that it's just, you know, if you suggest anything, they come at you with cynicism and demeaning they demean you. They demean your intellect. So the okay. So I'm going to look at atheism as a religion. So our source was the Bible, and our God was the Spirit. Now, if you're an atheist, you're saying, "Yeah, that didn't exist." But I'm just making a comparison with atheism. Their source is science, and the limits of scientific knowledge that we have today. But like, case closed for a lot of them, and their means of knowing things is through their intellect. So what I'm trying to say is they become very prideful intellectually. They become very certain and very prideful and so very just mean and disdaining towards people who have any kind of view outside of there is no God and materialism is all there is and this goo in my head is all there is. Now, you're probably an atheist out there and you don't, you're not like that. Good. I'm just saying in my experience with a lot of them, it was just another religion and didn't work for me, didn't resonate for me, didn't excite me, didn't, and uh, didn't hold anything for me but nihilism. And so even if I could have become intellectually persuaded, that atheism was case closed and then it was certainty. I could have never embraced it at a heart level because I just, for me, it just, in logic and reason, as the sum total, the grand total of all knowledge and the only way to arrive at accurate conclusions and apply knowledge. I know for a fact that in neuroscience, there is no explanation for what we call consciousness. Because I've heard, I mean, it's just kind of the consensus among neuroscientists that I've listened to, professors that have written books and uh, or have been on podcasts and stuff like that. There's no good explanation for consciousness. We don't really know what consciousness is. So then we can't say with certainty that there isn't anything beyond the synapses and the neurotransmitters firing 
in our brain. So that there's that, first of all. But that's also not the only path to knowledge. We also can look at experiences and testimonies of people, our own experiences or the experiences and testimonies of other people, and we can do a comparative study. So, for example, I just did that earlier with Edgar Casey and the Law of One, kind of a comparative study there. He had these experiences. They had these experiences. And then you could look at here's how they're similar, here's how they're different. There is no doubt, so there is no doubt that contact or perceived contact with conscious beings who do not exist physically in the physical dimension like another human being is ubiquitous to humanity, regardless of race, religion, or generation that you lived in, or country that you lived in. In other words, we can go all the way back and find, you know, thousands of years and find testimonies of shaman who had altered, who experienced entities that were non-physical entities, intelligences, conscious beings, sentient beings, other than what was contained within their own ego, other than what was contained within their own space, their own mental space. And we'll find it in every culture of the world (laughs) as a tradition, shamanic journeying, and in shamanic journeying, meeting other entities. Ezekiel's vision, right, of the wheel within the wheel. I mean, we could just toss that out as fiction, but you're using your 21st century mindset and you are using that template and paradigm and then you're applying it to the Bible. Um, it's the same mistake religious people make. They, they try to go back into the ancient understanding of the text and then bring it forward into the 21st century and give it application. People that reject that, what we do is we say, oh, Ezekiel saw Aliens, he saw a spaceship. Really, all we're doing is we're doing the same thing. We're taking our 21st century template and we're laying it back over against the text so that both groups are bringing paradigms that are foreign to each other and trying to apply them and trying to compare them and come to truth. That's a whole other topic in and of itself. My point is, now that's just like those are the professional People, right? So like the shaman is the priest or the professional spiritualist in the community. Ezekiel was a priest, so he's the professional spiritual person <laughs> within his community. But then we have to recognize that there are also other people who have had these type of experiences, whether it's uh, like I had in that sort of out of body experience where I move into this other space and there's this being of light that's there or whether it's a poltergeist in your home, or whether, uh, you know, there was one morning, my mom has passed away in 2017, there was one morning that I, I woke up, eyes wide awake, looked over, and I saw my mom standing there, and in her spirit, in her spiritual self, uh, with a kaleidoscope of colors that is just uh, incredible. 
and I'm blinking and I'm like, yeah, I'm awake. I'm not dreaming. I'm awake. And this happened for about 30 seconds. Well, nah, it probably felt like 30 seconds, probably more like 15, 10 or 15 seconds. You know how that goes, right? And then she just, um, my, my consciousness shifted is what I think. I'd say she vanished. I don't think she vanished. I think I became more awake and I became less perceptive of what is there. But anyway, you, you get what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who have encountered angels or, uh, let's say someone who is in Tibet who's encountered the Buddha or someone who's in India who's encountered Krishna or someone like myself many times in America, who encountered Jesus. My point is, we cannot, well, I cannot just dismiss something that is so human in our experience. And by so human, what I mean is that it transcends time, place, and culture. In other words, what I'm suggesting is, is that we let go of needing certainty from a authoritative body of knowledge. So again, as a Christian, my authoritative body of knowledge came from the Bible. I know a lot of atheists, their authoritative body of knowledge comes from the sum total of what we understand scientifically today. And that's their authority from which they derive their certainty to go out and with derision, that's the word I was looking for earlier, deriding, uh, speak and reply to people with derision about anything that they talk about that might be a phenomena that is outside of a materialistic paradigm. Yet we have such evidence that this phenomena exists. We may not understand this phenomena completely. We may not fully yet comprehend what's there. We may not have a good explanation for it, but nevertheless, it is phenomena. Even people who um, claim to have uh, alien abduction encounters, the descriptions of their phenomena is very similar to experiences that I might have had in the heavens that I might have had with angels or Jesus or similar to someone else's near-death experience. I think Whitley Schreiber, I think I got the last name right, Whitley Schreiber wrote the book Communion, and he's written several books since then. And he was sort of, at least in my mind, really penetrating with his writings. They made a movie about it in the 80s. So he was... One of the ones <clears throat> responsible for bringing light to this phenomena that people have experienced of alien abduction or alien communication. And even he uh, says that he does not believe these are encounters with beings from outer space. Even he recognizes that, that and, and he's got... <clears throat> <clears throat> you know, they organized and studied after the book and the movie and the books. Thousands of lectures talking to thousands of people, thousands and thousands of letters where people were sharing. I had a similar experience. I experienced these beings, too. <clears throat> I had an experience like this, too. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
and he experienced many of them himself. <clears throat> but even he's hesitant to say that there are actual experiences with beings from outer space. Nevertheless, these are real experiences. So these 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 beings, these entities, have a reality. But we may have to shift what we mean when we say reality. <laughs> I remember uh, someone that I <clears throat> was acquainted with who shared how they were praying through an area <clears throat> up by Chicago, Illinois, and they were walking through a wooded area, and they turned and they saw two young Native American men dressed in their getup, uh, and she was completely shocked to see them. And they turned around and looked at her, and they were comp- just as shocked also. <laughs> um, I don't know why I talked about that, but... What I'm saying is, is these are real experiences. And so these entities out there or these beings or this whatever it is we're dealing with out there has a reality, but we might have to shift the way that we think about reality. Now, here's the interesting thing. And so here's where I'm at. And here's the interesting thing. These experiences are informed socially and culturally. I talked about it a second ago. In other words, someone in Tibet may have a near-death experience and they may say Buddha. They may see Buddha. Someone in India may have a near-death experience and they may see Krishna. Somebody from a Native American tribe or tradition may have a near-death experience and may see their ancestors. Christian may have a near-death experience and they're going to see Jesus. And Skeptics and cynics are going to look at that and they're going to say, ah, see, how can you explain it? How can you explain it? You can't explain that. But maybe it's because we don't understand consciousness. And maybe the way that we think about the world, in other words, here's what I'm saying. Maybe the way that we interact, okay, let me back up. So Whitley Schreiber can say, I'm not sure what I experienced as alien abduction was physically real, but it was a real phenomenon. In other words, I'm not sure they were beings from outer space. Then what I'd like to propose is that it's possible, it is very possible, that either, like Edgar Cayce said, there is this, let me see if I can find how he said it, this sort of network of mind this sort of universal mind that we're all plugged into, kind of like the the Internet. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, I, I like this. So Casey, a devout Christian and Sunday school teacher, said that his readings came from his subconscious mind, exploring the dream realm, where he said all minds were timelessly connected. That's what I want to get to. What if... There is like this dream realm. What if the entire universe is just a dream? That's what the indigenous people would say. The entire universe is just a dream. And there is this universal dream network, so to speak, 
that we plug into through our subconscious mind that we connect with and they and 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 we are one of many sentient conscious beings all plugged into this sort of dream network dream world that we're all connected then that would mean that we could encounter entities or beings that are just as sentient and we could encounter them and communicate with them and get information from them through this network of this dream realm that Edgar Casey was talking about. That would also mean that we could have information about the past. This could be what they call in the East the Akasha, right? Like, again, these are concepts that we keep running into over and over again, or I keep running into over and over again as I do a comparative religious study. So by comparing these experiences and looking at how universal they are to humanity, and then looking at what do they share and have in common and what do they not share and have in common, I think that's equally as valid a method for understanding these things as just going into a laboratory and thinking things through based on what's measurable, what's repeatable, and all that stuff. See what I'm saying? Like, to a degree, if there's enough people having these experiences and there's enough similarities, it's measurable and it's repeatable. I just saw Robert Osborne says, let's call it the conscious net. I love that. I love that, Robert, the conscious net. So here's my point. If it's a dreamlike state or a dreamlike world, then we're bringing with us our social and cultural norms. And if it's all one thing, or if, if as quantum physics seems to indicate, you can't really separate the observer from the phenomenon being observed, that the observer contributes to observation so that you don't have a really binary, clear-cut duality. So if we look at this from the concept of non-duality, then I'm bringing with me my social and cultural norms. I'm bringing with me my expectations. I'm bringing with me my own imagination into this dream net or conscious net, as Robert said just a minute ago. I'm bringing that with me. And that is part of the doorway. That's part of the way that I interact. What if our imagination, what if stretching out our imagination and using our imagination is part of the way that we plug into this? Because if it is like a dream network and if it is all a dream, then the imagination becomes essential to diving into this realm and plugging into this realm. But we have to remember that we're bringing our social and cultural maps with us. So therefore, that is going to, for lack of a better word, distort It's going to delete certain information. It's going to distort certain information uh, in in the way that it goes out and comes through. And so that's going to allow for a lot of differences. That's going to allow for a lot of hits and misses. It's going to allow for someone like Edgar Casey, who apparently was able to bypass a lot of his distortions. He was able to go so deeply into this dream realm 
into this conscious net that he was able to bypass a lot of his social and cultural norms and subconscious norms that he brought with him and receive, but like being so open, able to receive with a clear filter, but yet still a filter there. So that can explain how some prophecies can come to pass because we're peering into the future in that realm, but I'm bringing my lenses with me. I'm bringing, uh, my beliefs with me, and that's that's creating some level of distortion. Perhaps this is why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we behold as in a mirror darkly or dimly. You see what I'm saying? Can explain why someone in Tibet sees Buddha and someone in America sees Christ, sees Jesus Christ. Uh, it can explain why we can get information that can access a healing state, a state of physical healing, or spiritual healing or mental emotional healing for one person, but we can't quite get it uh, transmitted or get it into manifestation of reality for the other person because we are participating in the process. Not this clear observer and observed phenomenon. You see what I'm saying? The observer and the observed are interacting. They are interfacing with each other. They are, dare I say, interpenetrating one another so that there is real communion that is happening in this space of the dream world or the consciousness or spirit or the spiritual realm or whatever it is that we want to call it. What if there are other levels of uh, dimensional reality? And this is uh, really fascinating to think about. I think, um, uh, again, Quantum physics is not my wheelhouse at all. Like, when I say not my wheelhouse, I mean, I've read, like, one book on it. Uh, but <clears throat> it's my understanding that there are theories out there, mathematical theories, that can be substantiated with mathematics, that we live in a multidimensional universe. That, in other words, just like we have the three dimensions that we are used to, we have cubic space. They're saying there are other dimensions on top of that. So if it's all about perception, if consciousness is as much about perception, then it's also about how many dimensions can we perceive? In other words, is it possible for there to be other dimensions here right now? When I'm talking about other dimensions, I'm meaning it very geometrically. I'm not meaning it in, in an esoteric sense at all, although it becomes esoteric. I'm meaning from a, from, I'm, I'm, I'm talking geometry, and again, it's above my pay grade, so I may be struggling with it a little bit, so please bear with me, but, okay, so there's a book out there called Flatland, uh, that I read years ago, years and years ago, um, I think it's an older book, it's called Flatland, and the author explains this brilliantly, maybe I'll come back at some point and do an episode on Flatland, but he postulates this idea, that there are, that there is a world that is completely fat, fat, completely fat. There's a world that's completely fat. No, that's Houston, Texas. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I said that. That just slipped out. Um, uh, sorry. <clears throat> if you're from Houston, please forgive me. Uh, flat land. Flat land. And he postulates this idea that there are people, uh, it's, it's a thought experiment. He's not postulating a reality. It's a thought experiment that what if you were a person who lived 
where you could only experience, instead of these three dimensions, you could only experience two dimensions. You'd be flat. So think about what that would be like. Your life would be like a comic strip. So imagine if there was a reality of people that are like comic strip people, and you live in this three-dimensional world, so you have depth. You would be able to see things that they could not see, even about their own lives. Therefore, you'd be able to give them information (laughs) about what was going to happen or about what's happening in their life because you could see it from a higher dimension. You could appear and disappear and reappear. You could, in their world, you could, like, relocate. So, like, you could, you know, you couldn't fully step into the flatland, but because you have access to two-dimensional space, you could step in enough that they could perceive who and what you are only based on their own ability to perceive in a two-dimensional thing, a two-dimensional realm. So, therefore, they're going to distort who or what you are. They're not going to fully understand who or what you are. You see what I'm saying? And then you could step back. You could step back, and then you could move, and then you could reappear over here. And again, the people in Flatland are going to perceive all of this out of their distortions because they don't have the ability perceptually. This is not a physical thing. At the level of their perceptions, they're not able to access that third dimension. So what if alien encounters are not really people who have traveled billions, beings who've traveled billions of light years in a spacecraft? Do you see how we're taking our limitations, our templates, our paradigm, and we are laying that and applying that to the phenomena of alien craft or alien abductions? What if the reality is, is that there are other, this is kind of a scary, weird thought, but what if there are other beings, higher intelligences or other sentient beings, who coexist with us, but they have access or even live in, primarily exist in, those dimensions that we cannot perceive. And so we're very much like the comic strip people, right? That when we have interaction with these entities and with these beings, then we can only, dare I say again, as the Apostle Paul said, dare I quote the Bible again, we can only know in part and prophesy in part and we can only see us in a glass darkly or dimly. Or we're looking through a veil. Maybe that's what some of these ancient societies, maybe that's the root of what they were trying to tell us. Maybe the veil into the Holy of Holies is just really trying to tell us there is that there are other space dimensions that exist right here that we cannot perceive. Maybe when I wake up and I look over and I see my mother, 
but I see her in this dazzling kaleidoscopic garment that I cannot describe that I've seen two other times with entities that I've encountered in similar ways before. Maybe my perceptions are penetrating into those dimensions and maybe what death is, maybe what death is, maybe your brain and your body is actually a filter so you can have an experience. Maybe it's not that we came down, even if you have sort of a new age or metaphysical idea, it's not that we came down from heaven to be embodied and so now we're fallen and we're trying to ascend and get back up there. Maybe it's more that we put on these filters so that we can focus on a subset of reality for the purpose of experience and growth. I hope that made sense to you. And that when we lose these bodies, when we shed these bodies, we then take off the veil of our flesh. We remove the filter and then we have the more expansive experience of the other dimension. So that in that sense then, the ancients are right. Our ancestors are present with us. My mom is present with me right now in the house, not like a ghost inhabiting my three-dimensional reality, but moved into that those other dimensions, right, because the filter is gone now. What if, I'm going to say this again. What if the brain, what if we take on these bodies so that we can filter out the noise, so that we can cut it out? Right. So uh, let's do it this way. So used to like to use radio signals. A lot of people don't use radios anymore. So we'll use cell cell signals. Right. So there's like um, however many millions or billions of cell phones in the world. And all that signal and all that stuff uh, is is bombarding us. Right. Or when we used to use satellite TV, I mean, everything's going through the Internet right now. So but I'm trying to think of a contemporary example. So radio stations, radio waves are coming in. When you tune into a station, all you're doing is filtering out all the other noise that's there, if you understand what I'm saying, so that you can zero in on the one song or the one station that you want to hear. When someone, when you call a cell phone number, you are dialing into, you're sending something out, presumably into the airwaves, and their phone is picking it up. So so all these devices then are channels, as Casey would say, or they're filters to filter out the excess so that you can focus on one thing for the purpose of having an experience. And what if when we die, all we're doing is taking off these devices and moving into a realm that's far more expansive yet still informed by our, whatever they may be in those other realms and dimensions, our perceptual filters. Now, here's why we have to be careful with distortion. This is the mistake that we make. And this is why religion is so dangerous. Because if this is true, if we are participating in this conscious net, if we are participating in this corporate dream world, if everything is sort of a dream, but we're bringing our distortions, we're deleting information, we're distorting information, we're generalizing information, 
because the observer and the observed in this realm are participating, they're interpenetrating, they're having real communion with each other. In other words, I'm affecting it while it's affecting me. And what if they're perceiving me as something totally other than what I am, according to their own filters and ideas and patterns? You see what I'm saying? Then what happens is, is we're simply creating the best map possible to understand the territory of this interdimensional consciousness realm. And the map is not the territory. So the map, what, so let's just suppose that there is a reality out there that we know to be loving, kind, and benevolent, providing for us and guiding us and supporting us and caring for us, an energy a realm, a principle, let's call it a principle, a principle of love, a principle of a parent to a child, a principle of unconditional love. But let's suppose that this principle is pure and fully refined love and beneficence, but <laughs> giving benefit. <laughs> Benevolence, thank you, that's the word I'm thinking of. Ugh, I'm struggling this morning. Um, that that principle exists in the universe. And so there were times that I peered into that other realm, that dream realm. But in my socio-cultural map, Jesus is what best represents that for me. So I take this experience that I have with unconditional love, with benevolence, with parental type love and care and providence, and I say, it's Jesus Christ, and he is Lord, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess. I'm not honoring the principle. I'm honoring the filter through which I experience that principle, and then I'm taking the filter and forcing it onto other people. It wouldn't be much like, you know, you have to change out your filters on your furnaces, right? So imagine mistaking the filter for the furnace and then going out and taking your filter and telling other people if they want to heat their house, they have to use the filter. See what I'm saying? Because the guy that experienced the Buddha, he experienced Compassion. He experienced benevolence. He experienced the energy and the principle of love. But he experienced it as Buddha, whereas I experienced it as Jesus. Or someone else might experience it as the goddess. So what if our religion, you know, the gods whether we call it a god, like they did in Samaria, whether we call it an angel, like they did in Judeo-Christian tradition, or whether we call it an alien in our Star Trek generation. What if it's all the same 
coming from the same place out there, and we're using gods, angels, aliens as our perceptual filters because of our socio-cultural norms. Um, what if that gives us a way to think and talk about these things that can help us find this middle path or this third way where I don't have to embrace the toxicity of religion, but I don't have to embrace full-on atheism and materialism. I can still use logic and reason and common sense but I can also honor spiritual phenomena that I've experienced and that others have experienced without looking down on it with derision or disdain so I hope this is helpful I, I got somebody else that uh, needs to use this platform um, Derek Day for those of you that follow or know Derek Day I think he's going to be jumping on right after me so uh you get a double feature of that. If you are watching on Facebook, I attached a link to our PayPal that connects to our ministry. We do still have our ministry active. Um, I just haven't been as active primarily for health reasons. I also have the link in the YouTube video as well. If you're watching this by YouTube and you haven't subscribed and you benefited from this, please go and subscribe like and comment for the algorithms and share it uh, so that we can grow that channel. I want to grow a Patreon community, but again, I'm so handicapped when it comes to uh, expertise in uh, that stuff, in contemporary computer stuff, not my wheelhouse, and I don't have the money to pay anybody uh, to do it for me. And I don't have a lot of extra time because I still have a day job. But I want to get there. So if you want to help us, and this would be a great help, you could support us with $5 or $30 or whatever. I'm not trying to sound like a televangelist. I'm just saying any little bit of amount will help in the PayPal link. You can connect to the PayPal link, and you can support us until we can become more self-supporting by offering more content on platforms like YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and Patreon. And I also, I want to be able to create courses, but it's so time consuming. And so I need to be able to make that transition from my day job to something else. And so any support that you can give us at all financially, if it's helped you, uh, if you've benefited by it, please uh, click on the link there. Uh, so many of you blew me away uh, two weeks ago when I logged back into my PayPal account and I saw uh, the generosity of so many of you that was out there. Thank you. That's really going to help us reach our goal. If you watch some of my YouTube videos, make very, very, very little right now, but we're trying to increase the subscriptions and trying to increase the views so that we can expand and work with the algorithms to expand that as well. So anyway, I want to thank you for, um, being here with me again thank you everybody for your generosity um i haven't had a chance to go through and look at uh people who donated but i i do want to thank you for those donations and again if you can donate to help us uh put more content out there and get this kind of stuff out there to help people who are deconstructing to help people who are caught in religion to help get uh, some truth out there and uh to help uh wake up the world so anyway 
on that note, I am going to bid you adieu. If you watch this whole thing, thank you for watching the whole thing. If you're watching it by replaying, you got this far. Thanks again. Love to dialogue on this. So share your comments and I will see you next week.